Well, friends, we live in a world, every one of us, that is full of trite promises, right? Of promises that are made that we never really expect to have actually fulfilled. Our airwaves, and not so much our airwaves even today, but you know, our, our, uh, our podcasts and, and other streaming devices that allow us to listen to music and to watch movies, those things are congested with songs and, and films that promise us far more than any human being could ever deliver, right? People will swim the widest ocean for us. They'll climb the highest mountain for us, right? They'll never leave us. Death won't even separate us in this great and abiding love that music and films offer to us. And, and anyone who's wise recognizes, right, that that's just poetic license. This is not stuff that people can deliver on. Uh, they're, they're heartfelt and they can be meaningful, but there's no end game in play, right? They can't actually deliver on any of these things. But we have many great and precious promises that are given to us by God. Great and precious promises that are revealed to us in God's word. And the question we have to ask ourselves, I think, is do we actually believe that God delivers on promises? Right? When God promises that he'll be with us throughout eternity, do we believe that's true? Do we actually believe that heaven exists? Are we, are, we, are we living our lives as if heaven is on the other side of this? Glory is on the other side of this life for us? Or is it a faint hope and we're actually trying to also make sure that we're, we're hedging all of our bets here just in case? Do we really believe that God can deliver? And I think part of that is because we live in a world where there are so many promises that we know aren't going to be delivered on. Even if a person is well-intentioned, they won't be able to deliver on the promise. We live, we're, we're saturated in this world. We dwell here. And here, there are no real promises that can be lifelong and certainly can take us into, into eternity. But we serve a God who knits babies together in wombs. We serve a God who created the universe. We serve a God that the Bible tells us lives in inapproachable light and is immortal. And we, we know a God who has made incredible promises to us. And so the question I think we all have to ask ourselves, probably on a regular basis, is do I actually believe this stuff? Do I actually believe that when Jesus says this, it's true? When God says this, it's actually true? Today, Jesus is going to make some very precious promises to his disciples, and, and by extension to us as well. Now, we need to understand in context, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Some of these things will apply directly to them at that moment, but much of it spills over into our lives as future disciples of Jesus Christ. In John 17, Jesus will pray that, right? I'm not just praying for these disciples, but for all those who will come to know me through their testimony, through the gospel ministry that these disciples will share. So much of what Jesus is promising to the disciples in our text for today from John 14 are promises that also extend to us as well. And so the question the disciples had to ask and the questions that we have to ask and ultimately answer are, is this stuff even true? I mean, is Jesus able to actually deliver on these things that he promises to them and to us? Death is approaching for Jesus. And as death approaches for so many of us, our hope is to pass on a legacy, right? We want to pass something on to people. My mother, when she passed away, 
wrote a letter to myself and each one of my brothers and sisters. She really had nothing of material wealth to give us. My father was still living, so there was really nothing there, right? She didn't have a vast estate. And so what she passed on to us was a letter just specifically telling us how much she loved us, some specific things about her remembrances of us in our life, and to remind us that she'd had a good life, a fulfilling life, and that what, what kind of wove the goodness of that life together for her was to be a part of a family and to have so many children and to be surrounded by that and to really dedicate the, the vast majority of her adult lifehood was simply given to her children and to raising her children, right? We live in a world today that says to you ladies, unless you have a career and unless you're moving up the social ladder and the, and the uh, uh, ladder of success, unless you're dealing with all the stress that men have dealt with for all these years, your life isn't meaningful. To raise children is not meaningful. Now, I got no problems with those of you who are rising up corporate ladders, but there is a beauty in raising children in the next generation. This is, this is a great gift of God to, to his people. And my mother rejoiced in that, and so that was her legacy. That's what she passed on to tell us that she loved us and to tell us all the, the, the joy that was brought into her life from her family. Jesus also had really no material wealth to pass on. Right? This is the last night of his life, and we're going to be in the last night of his life for multiple chapters here. He has nothing to pass on of material wealth. Right? He doesn't sit down and write, hey, I'd bequeath one cart to John, right? one donkey to so-and-so. He's got none of that stuff. But he's going to pass on a legacy here in these next few hours with his disciples that will encompass a few chapters of John's gospel. He'll be passing on a legacy to his disciples and ultimately to you and me in many of these things as well. The only thing that Jesus owns that we, can, that we know of is his clothing, right? And the gospels tell us what happened to his clothing, the very people who nail him to a cross will strip him of his clothing and barter for it right at the foot of the cross. Just one more insult to the many insults that were projected to Jesus Christ. He had nothing to give. So what does he give the disciples? What's his legacy? His legacy is his presence. I will be with you, he says. I do love you. My father loves you. These are the things I want you to know. These are the words of comfort that Jesus bequeaths to his disciples and to you and me as well. Nothing of monetary value, but stuff that has eternal value if we can believe in the promises that Jesus leaves for us. And so the primary thing that Jesus is passing on to us, friends, in these last few chapters of John's gospel, the legacy that he's leading us to is simply this, his presence. He's passing on his presence to us. And he's saying to us, live in my presence every single day of your life because I'm living in you. And I'm promising that I am living in you. So let's see how this kind of fleshes out in John's gospel, chapter 14, verses 15 through 26. So right in the heart of John chapter 14 now. So again, if you're new here today, you've got your Bible with you and you want to open up and follow along with us. Uh, John's Gospels in the New Testament. So about two-thirds of your way through your Bible, you're going to hit the, the Gospels. Matthew's the first one, Mark, Luke, and then John. 
And we're in John chapter 14 today, and we're going to be starting at verse 15 and reading through verse 26. So let's stand together, shall we? Let's honor God as we read from his word today. Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. And so another question I think we can ask ourselves today, myself included in this, is this simple question. Do you love Jesus? Personalize it. Do I love Jesus? Do I love him? Do you love him? And there are some of you who are here today, undoubtedly, who are not followers of Jesus Christ. So glad that you are here. Your answer would be, no, I don't love him. I don't even believe in him, maybe. So for those of us who are here who claim to know Christ, the question, I think, has to be, do we love Jesus? I mean, do we actually love him? And Jesus has given us a litmus test for that, right? I mean, the reality is, is that some concepts related to the Christian walk are a bit nuanced. We're trying to figure them out. Some Christians do it one way, some Christians do it another way. And it's kind of nuanced. We're trying to figure this stuff out. But here Jesus, I think, is really pretty clear. I don't know that you can nuance what he's saying here. He says, if you love me, you will what? You'll obey my commandments, right? It's, it is... It is this call to say, if you make the claim that you love me, you'll demonstrate that in obedience to me. Now again, for those of you who know Christ here, many of you right now are saying that I must not love him, right, because I sin. But that's not the litmus test, friends. The litmus test is, do you obey his commands? Where is your heart in this? Do you desire to know Christ? Do you desire to obey Christ? Do you make some mistakes? Join with the rest of us in that. Should we look at that and say those are not important? Of course they're important. But those do not separate us from Christ. The test here is do you love Jesus in that your desire is to obey his commandments? John heard this, right? The apostle John who's writing this, he's heard this. He's written it down. And this stuff is resonating with him. One of the ways to find out what really resonates with John is to go to his letters written many, many decades later and see what he remembers. 
And he'll write about some of these things in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, these letters. Look what he says here in 1st John 5. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. That sounds a lot like what Jesus just now said, right? John's listening, and he's remembering this decades later, later. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, they're not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith in these words and in God and in Christ. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John's listening. He's repeating this decades later. He's heard what Jesus has said, right? Who overcomes this world, friends? It's those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know we love Jesus Christ? Because it's a heart's desire for us to obey his commandments. This is how we know that we love him. Friends, in John's gospel, there is one test of genuine love, and that's a test of obedience. Read it over and over and over again. You can't miss it. There is one test of genuine love for God in Christ. It's a test of obedience. Do we want to follow this man? Do we believe this man? Do we want to obey what this man has to say to us? For Jesus, love was never allowed to devolve into some sentimental feeling or some sentimental emotional state. It was always and always is, friends, wrapped in truth and morality, truth and morality. That's how we distinguish love. Anybody can say, I love you. Anybody can make a promise, right, that my love for you is going to eclipse the grave. The problem is, is they're going to die, and they got no strength on the other side of the grave. It's just a promise that cannot be kept. It may be well-intentioned, but it cannot be kept. Jesus says, you'll live Because I'm living and I will live. He's saying I will be there on the other side of the grave. Jesus' love is wrapped in truth, what Francis Schaeffer called true truth. It's reality. It's it's baked into how we live and how we experience life. It's baked into our morality. Are we following Jesus? Do we want to obey Christ? This helps us to know whether or not we have genuinely come to know Christ or not. For Jesus, love is a verb. It's not just a noun. right? It has action behind it. It is acted out. It's not just spoken. Look, in my lifetime, my, mom, my mother must have told me a thousand times, maybe 10,000 times, that she loved me. And that was very pleasant to hear that. But the reason why I believe my mother loved me is because of the things she did every single day of her life. That's how I believe my mom loved me. She didn't just talk about these things. Love for her was a verb, at least in my life. And for Jesus, love is a verb. It has action. It moves. It speaks. It it, it wraps itself around us. It's based on reality. And he's the only one who can take that reality and make it true truth and make it real for us. It goes beyond the grave. When he says that my love eclipses death, his love eclipses death. He's going to be there on the other side. He actually has the power to do something on the other side of the grave, friends. It's not trite. It's real. It's moral. It's true. 
And so with this as a backdrop, Jesus tells us what his response will be to those who do love him. He says, I'm going to send you another helper. Now, in context, he's talking to the disciples here, right? They're in time and space. Jesus is right there at the table with them, right? Remember, this happened. This happened in our world. A man named Jesus, who was the God-man, lived in this world. He was in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is still there. The upper room may be still there. They'll take you there and charge you to see it if you want to see it. But he was really there. And he was really talking to these guys. And they could really reach out and touch him. And he had really told them, I'm leaving you. And they're really confused and they're scared and they're wondering what's going on here. And Jesus is speaking to them these truthful things. And he tells them, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to leave you and the world won't be able to see me. But you will see me because I'm going to send to you another helper who will come into your life and be with you. This helper, Jesus says, at least by implication, is one who will come alongside the disciples. And therefore, as we extrapolate that out, this helper, the Holy Spirit, will come alongside us as well. As this is translated from Jesus' words, we're almost assuredly in in, uh, Arabic, uh, or Aramaic, um, you have, sorry, Aramaic, in Aramaic, it's translated into the Greek and the, the, the word that John uses there that help us understand what Jesus means is a word that the Greeks used for someone who would come to your court hearing where you were under accusation and would come alongside you and give a favorable report on your behalf, okay? It's the Greek word perikaletos, if you care about that. And it's a compound word from kaleo, which simply means to call out. And para, or para, we use that in English all the, all the time, right? It comes alongside. It's to call out to one who comes alongside us and, and, and ministers to us. The word is also used by the Greeks and the Romans to talk about that person in a military unit when things are getting really bad who stands up and says, follow me, I'm here, right? Be courageous, come with me, right? I'm right here with you, I'm fighting by your side, right? When those Romans, they went into battle, they went into battle with a big old shield in front of them and a big old long spear and they went in a phalanx, right? They had people all around them, shield to shield, shoulder to shoulder, somebody right there next to them the whole time, unless that, that unit got dispersed, right? And when it got dispersed, things didn't go well for the Roman army, but keep them together and they conquered the world, This is what happens, friends. The Holy Spirit, this helper, comes alongside us, John says. This is what Jesus was passing on to his disciples. I'm leaving, but I'm sending someone who will come right alongside you and be right there with you. And this helper, Jesus said, is not just truthful. He doesn't just tell us the truth. He is truth. Let that sink in for a second. He is, Jesus says, the spirit of truth. Everything that's true, friends, comes from the Holy Spirit. Everything that's true comes from God. He is the spirit of truth. He doesn't just speak truth. He is truth. This is where we get truth. This is where we get our concept of truth. We can deny it all day long, but the reality is is truth is grounded in God the Father, God the Son, 
God the Spirit. He is the Spirit of truth. And Jesus says, the world can't know this Spirit. It's impossible. Those people outside of Christ cannot know the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not dwelling in them, right? They don't love Christ. They are not obeying His commandments. The Spirit cannot dwell in them. The Holy Spirit, the Helper, is for all of us who know Christ and have genuinely come to know Him, friends. He is a good deposit, Paul will say in Ephesians, right? He is that good deposit that when we hear the gospel of our salvation, he says in Ephesians 1, when we come to know Christ, we are given a good deposit, the Holy Spirit, who who is there as a deposit of all the good things that are going to come. The Spirit of God dwells in you if you know Christ today, but not in a way that will be like in glory, friends. It's just a taste. It's a deposit. It's just a little bit of what heaven's going to be like with the Spirit of God living in us, dwelling in us, with us day in and day out. Not just for life, but beyond life as well. When we know the fullness of the Spirit. This is what Jesus is promising his disciples. And as we extrapolate it out, he's promising us as well. The world cannot know the Spirit of God. But those who know Christ can and will. What does the scriptures tell us, friends? That we have the mind of Christ. That's an amazing gift from God. He's taking out our mind, not physically, but he is molding our minds and our hearts and our, our wills to, to, to the image of Jesus Christ. He's dwelling in us. He's dwelling with us. Jesus says, I'm sending you another helper, right? another one like me. He's going to fulfill this parallel role that Jesus had fulfilled personally and physically in the life of the disciples. Martin Luther called this statement, alter Christus in Latin. It simply means another Christ. He's saying, what's Jesus doing here? He's offering them another Christ. He's saying, I'm going to give you my spirit. Yes, I'm leaving physically, but I will be with you. And I will be with you by the Spirit of Christ. It's another Christ who will dwell with you. Friends, this is why Jesus will be able to tell the disciples, it's better for you that I leave, right? We talked a little bit about this last week. And of course, the disciples, and you and me, if we were there, would say, no. (laughs) I mean, it's nice of you to say that, but I'll take you physically with me any day of the week. You hang with us, Jesus. Don't go anywhere, right? We'll make you a king. And we'll do anything you tell us to do, right? You set up that kingdom right now. And Jesus is saying, that's not how it's going to be. I'm not setting up this kingdom right now. I'm going to actually leave you physically. And this is better. Why? Because now, by the power of the, of the Holy Spirit, we, my Father and I, we will dwell in you. And we'll never walk away. We'll never have to be in another location. I never have to send you off to prepare something for me. I'm there with you. It's better for us, friends. Listen, we have it better today than the disciples of Jesus Christ had. If Jesus is telling us the truth, we have it better today than they did walking and living and eating with Jesus Christ because he dwells in us now. God the Father has sent the Spirit to us in the name of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is able to say to his disciples, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I am going away, but I I will not leave you as orphans. 
I will come to you, he says. I will live in you. You will live in me. As I live in the Father, the Father lives in me, and you will live in me, and therefore I will live in you, right? It's this beautiful circular reasoning that Jesus uses, right? God is in me, and I am in in God the Father. And therefore, I am in you, and you're in me, and therefore, you're in the Father, and the Father's in you. It's this beautiful circular reasoning. And all these things, Jesus says, are good for the disciples, and they are good for us as well. In that day, he says, in that day, when Christ rises from the dead, and in that day when he blows on the Holy Spirit and says, uh, on the disciples and says, receive the Spirit of God. And on that day when he says, don't go anywhere, right? I'm going back to the Father, but you wait in Jerusalem until the Helper comes. And when he comes, wow, you will be equipped. You will remember these things and you will go out and you will do all that I've called you to do and you will do it with me, right there with you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Friends, in that day, we will know, Jesus says, that Christ is in the Father, and the Father is in Christ, and that Christ is in us, and that we are in Christ. We'll know that. What does that tell us? You can know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you will be with Christ in heaven. You can know that. You don't have to think, well, I'm going to just wait and see, right? It's kind of a wait and see proposition, right? In the tradition that I grew up in, it was a wait and see proposition. Do everything the best you can, right? Do the right prayers. Say the right prayers. Show up at the right time. Receive right, uh, the, the Spirit or receive the flesh of Jesus in, in communion. Do all those things. And when it's all done, it really just kind of, you got to wait and see. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches us. I think Jesus is saying, you can know this, friends. You can know it. You'll know that you're in me and that I'm in you. And how will you know it? You'll know it by the Spirit, right? And in that In that day, you'll want to know Christ in such a way that you want to obey his commandments. You'll fail like I do and like all the disciples did, but you won't fail to the point of failure. You won't fail to the point of not knowing Christ. If you know him and you love him, you'll desire to obey those commandments. There will be genuine repentance and you will come back as Peter came back and you will be there in the end and you can bank on these things. You can know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's not prideful to say, I will be in heaven with Jesus. That's not pride. That's truth. That's Jesus' spirit telling you that these things are reality. Now, friends, on this side of heaven, we can only see what God has fitted us to see. We can't see everything. We cannot see beyond the grave. But we can see Jesus. And Jesus is and does dwell in us. The world, friends, is blind to this. Those outside of Christ are blind to this reality. This is why so many things that they say and do do not make sense to us. And quite frankly, so many things that we say and do does not make sense to them. They do not have the spirit of Christ. Jesus has told us they can't. It's impossible outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we shouldn't be blind, friends, as followers of Jesus. We shouldn't be blind like the world is blind. We must not be blind that way. We, we have to be those who see more, who believe more, who have more faith, who have more understanding than those who do not know Christ. Friends, go into a submarine, right? 
and sit next, next to the sonar operator and watch that thing go around in these bleeps, blips, whatever you call those things as they go around and look at it. And if you're not trained, you're going to say, yeah, whatever, right? It's something going around and making funny noises. But to a sonar operator, they're like, yeah, I know exactly what's ahead of us, right? We've got an underwater mountain range. We need to do this. There's another vessel coming this way. We've got to be careful over here. Why? They're trained. They see what we can't see there. Right? Go with a botanist into the forest and see if the botanist doesn't see way more than you'll ever see in there because they're trained to see it. When I was in college, I took a one-off course, a botany course. I was not a botanist. But I liked plants, and I needed three more credits. So I thought, ah, I'll take botany. And I thought it'd be kind of one of those blow-off classes, you're right? We'll look at some twigs and, you know. Um, and it turns out, botany's really hard. <laughs> but I had this incredible professor. He was a great professor. I, he was weird. There's no question about it, right? I mean, cheese slipping off the cracker almost every day for this guy. But he knew botany, and he made it come alive for us. I loved that class. I, I honestly almost changed my major to botany. If it wouldn't have been all the science, right, I probably would have hung in there. Great class. He would walk us out uh, in, onto the campus often. And these paths that I'd been walking day after day, right, to classes, he would say, look at this hedgerow. Come over here. Come over here. Look in here. Look at this beautiful thing. You're like, yeah, it looks like a plant, right? But he's able to tell you all these incredible things about this, right? He taught us genus species of all these things. A lot of this stuff I still remember because he did it so weird, right? Quiricus imbricaria. That's, the, that's an oak tree, right? <laughs> you might not have known that, but I know that now, right? Acer rubrum is... The maple tree. It's the red maple tree, right? Ginkgo biloba, right? It's the common ginkgo tree. It was just fun. This guy saw things we never saw, right? Every year he would go down to Machu Picchu down in South America. I think that's, you're not able to go to it now. He went to it and, don't tell anybody, he took stuff from there. And he brought it back, and we, he would lay it all out, and he was so excited to tell us about all of these things that he was learning from, you know, from the flora there in South America. This guy saw things we could not see. I'm telling you, you walk down the campus with this guy, and he was pointing out everything. This is so beautiful. Look at this. Isn't this amazing? And we're all going, well, whatever, okay? But it stuck with me. It stuck with me. The Holy Spirit is like this, friends. The Holy Spirit in you, you will see things and you'll say to non-believers, listen to this. Listen to what the Bible says here. And for so many of them, they'll be like, yeah, whatever. But for you, it'll be like, wow, isn't this, isn't this beautiful? Isn't this incredible what God is saying to us? Aren't the promises of God amazing? And many people will say, yeah, whatever. They cannot see what we see, friends. Jesus has told us why. Because the world cannot receive the helper. 
The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit, but we can. And because of that, what Jesus is saying is in love and obedience, there is truth and there is God's presence and there is this vital relationship between you as a follower of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ himself and God the Father through the working of the Holy Spirit, the Helper. When I came to know Jesus in 1979, for some of you, you weren't even a blip on the radar in 1979. But I came to know Jesus in 1979, and kind of the common nomenclature back then, at least in the middle part of of America, was I've come to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know if people still say that or not. I would try to explain that to some of my own siblings who didn't know Christ, and they'd be like, what in the world are you talking about, right? We go to Mass, we come home, right? And I'm saying, no, 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 no. It's like this personal relationship, right? What does that mean? I don't know yet. I'm not sure what that means, right? But I'm figuring it out. I'm figuring it out. We have a, Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, I'm giving you the promise of presence here, right? I will be with you. There's something personal here, friends, between you and the God of the universe. There's something personal, It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a great love for this world and for the creation, but there's something personal here between God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and you, if you know Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling his disciples, I can't and I won't give this to the world, but I will give the Spirit to you. God the Father will send the Spirit in my name. And so he tells the disciples and you and me that we can expect his presence with us every single day. He lives, and so we live. Paul says it this way in Athens. In him we live and move and have our being. Jesus says, I live, so you'll live. That's how this works. Now we can believe that or we cannot believe it. But Jesus has made a promise. I will live and you live also. I love you, and you'll love me. I love the Father, and the Father loves me. And so by extension, if you love me, you love the Father, and the Father loves you too, right? Friends, remember, this is not a storyline, Christianity, of God the Father really mean and angry at people. Jesus the Son, really pleasant, constantly trying to placate an angry father. That is not the Bible. A loving father who sent a loving son who now gives us a spirit of love and presence, right? Jesus doesn't have to convince the father to love us. He loves us. He loves us. And he sent Jesus to us. And in the name of Jesus, he has sent the Holy Spirit to us as well, to dwell in us and to abide in us. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, because where's Judas Iscariot now? Remember, in this storyline, Judas has left, right? And he's now talking with the Pharisees, and they're gathering together a contingent of soldiers. This is what's taking place in the background here. Some people are getting ready to come and arrest Jesus so that they can kill him. So Judas Iscariot is gone, but there's another Judas, very common name there in Israel at that time, and Judas asks a reasonable question. How are you going to manifest yourself to us, but not manifest yourself to the world? And Jesus' answer is, I'm going to do it by my spirit. I will show you things that I will not show the world, right? Now, friends, think about this. I suspect we don't think about this very much. When Jesus rose from the dead, who did he appear to? 
And now ask yourself this, who did he appear to as the incarnate son of God before these hours where he separated himself from the Jews and started spending these last hours with his disciples? Who was he with then? He was with great crowds of skeptics and people who got angry with him. He he spent time with the Pharisees. He had conversations with the Pharisees. He conversed with Pontius Pilate. He conversed with Caiaphas, the high priest. He had all kinds of conversations with people. Who did he have conversations with on the other side of the resurrection? There's no accounts of him showing up to Pilate. There's no accounts of him revealing himself to Caiaphas. There's no accounts of him going back out to the crowds and saying, here I am. He reveals himself to his people who have placed their hope in him. That's who he reveals himself to. When Judas says, how are you going to do that? Jesus does it. He reveals himself to his people, to those who love him. And it continues to this day with the power of the Holy Spirit. He continues to reveal himself to us, and the world remains blind. And until these people see, and their eyes are opened, and the blinders are taken off, and the heart is softened, they cannot see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, Paul says. When that day comes, the blinders come off, and things that didn't make sense before begin to make sense. And we begin to rejoice in the promises of God. And so Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But now he tells them, while I am physically going to make a place for you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they're coming to live in you right now, right? On this side of heaven, revealed even more deeply and profoundly once we walk through that portal of death, friends, when we're in the presence of God Almighty. That's an incredible promise, right? I'm leaving, I will come back, but while I'm gone, the Father and the Son and the Spirit will dwell with you. We'll be right there with you. We'll make our home with you. Friends, again, stop, think about this for a second. The triune God of the universe dwells with you if you know him. The God of the universe lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, the helper, if you know Jesus Christ and have come to know him by faith. Now on the negative side, verse 24, Jesus says, those who do not love me, they don't keep my words, right? Again, this is the test in John's gospel. If you love me, you obey me. If you don't love me, you're not going to listen to me, right? You're going to reject me. It's happened to Jesus a thousand times in his ministry, and he's about to face the ultimate rejection from this world. Now listen, on the practical side as we begin to wind things down here this morning, the reality is at times life does not make a lot of sense, right? It does not make a lot of discernible sense. There's a lot of trouble in this world. Right, for those of us who have been given the gift of life, we know that life comes with problems and struggles. And nowhere in the scriptures does Jesus say, I'm going to take all of them away from you and it's going to be a primrose path, right? In fact, he tells us, follow me and you will know trouble. That's how it is on this side of heaven. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in its petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all of our yesterdays have lighted to men the way to dusty death, right? Macbeth. Out, out, brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow. A poor player who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. That's what Macbeth says when Lady Macbeth is 
has died. These are the words of Shakespeare. This is what life is like for Shakespeare, right? It's a tale told by an idiot. All kinds of things happening. It is nothing. The brief candle goes out. We strut and fret our hour upon the stage, and then we're just no more. That's the world's take on this, outside of the Holy Spirit. Inside of Christ, it's nothing like that, right? It's nothing like that, friends. Jesus isn't hoodwinking us. He doesn't say, follow me and I'll take care of all your problems. He says, follow me and there will be trouble, right? He says this to the disciples. We'll get to this here in a month or so or two. (laughs) I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. But in this world you're going to have tribulations. Translated sometimes trials or persecutions or troubles. But take heart. What? You say it. I've overcome the world, friends. Jesus isn't, he's not hoodwinking us. In this world, we have trouble. But we should be of good cheer. Because if we know Christ, he's just now told us the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He's overcome the world. This world can't take us with it. We're with Christ, and Christ is with us, and Christ is with the Father, and the Father is with Jesus, and Jesus is with us, and He loves us, and He loves the Father, and the Father loves Him, and the Father loves us, and you love the Father, and you love the Son. That's this world for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. These things Jesus will say in verse 25. I've spoken to you while I am still with you, right? I am preparing you. He's preparing us, friends. For this world and life in this world, the helper will come to you. The Father will send him in my name. He will teach you all things. Everything we want to know? Of course not. Everything we need to know, the Holy Spirit teaches us, right? Peter tells us that in 2 Peter, right? By the divine spirit, we have everything we need, friends, for life and for godliness. Everything we need from God for life and and to live a godly life in this life. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us. He teaches us all these things. And then I think specifically for the disciples, he says he's going to bring back a remembrance of all these things I've said to you, right? And here we have it. Here we have it, right? The remembrance of all these things that Jesus has said to his disciples. And so, friends, jumping ahead again just a little bit, Jesus tells his disciples why he's sharing these things in John 16.1. He says, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. He knows there's trouble ahead for them. This night, tomorrow, and into their lives, right? The day will come, he says, when they'll drag you before the tribunals and the courts, and you will have to give an accounting with your own head, with your own blood. He knows it's coming for them. And so he says, I'm telling you these things so that you won't fall away, okay? And so to help us so that we won't fall away, here it is, the end of the message. To help us so that we will not fall away, friends, remember these things. The test of genuine faith in Jesus is obedience to his commands. That's the test of genuine faith in Jesus. Do you want to obey the commands of Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit is another Jesus, He's the spirit of Jesus. This is why the New Testament interchanges those terms frequently. Holy Spirit, spirit of Jesus. He comes to live in us, friends, forever. He's dwelling in you right now if you know Jesus Christ. 
The world cannot know the Spirit. It cannot know Him. We can because we've come to place our faith and hope in Jesus Christ and we obey His commandments. Jesus has indeed left us physically. He will never leave us spiritually. Not now and not on the other side of death, right? When He says, I love you past death, He means it and He can deliver on that. The Father and the Son dwell in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, friends. The Father and the Son dwell in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does that tell us? It tells us that if you know Jesus, you are kept in the faith by a triune God. God the Father, who sends Jesus the Son, who sends us now the two of them, as it were, and the Holy Spirit. You're kept by a triune God. You're kept by a triune God today. Friends, to know Jesus is to know his presence. To know Jesus is to know the presence of Jesus Christ. So let's live in the presence of Jesus every single day of our lives. And let's remember that Jesus is also living in us. Amen? Amen. Amen.